turning to Philippians chapter 3, you can see in your bulletin that if you use the Pew Bible, it's on page 981. right at the bottom of the page there. Before I read, let's ask God to bless our reading and the preaching of his word. Lord, as we come to this word, we pray that as we hear it, as we consider it, Lord, that you would conform us to the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be conformed to his humility. May we walk in the liberty of of his servanthood. Bless us, Lord, that we truly will live out the Christmas story, the Christmas message in our own lives. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. So Paul says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom... I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So our title this morning, What Are You Waiting For? I really hope you're waiting in the way Paul says here. Because those who are not waiting, we, we read, are headed for future destruction while those who are waiting are headed for future glory. So, the stakes are high. First, we're going to talk about those whose life is headed for destruction. Here in verse 17, Paul says, to imitate me and imitate those who are like me. But what exactly does Paul want them to imitate? In his own life. Now, the first piece of the puzzle goes back to chapter 2. That's where Paul teaches that Christ, who was God, didn't hold back anything but poured himself out for the sake of others. It actually teaches that God humbled himself. And became a servant for our good, even to the point of death on a cross. So Paul has already said in this letter, that is what the true God is like. That is precisely what the real God does. He sacrifices himself for others. And since he was God, that's what he did. In Gordon Fee's words, it says, in the cross... God's true character, his outlandish, lavish love was fully manifested in the cross. 
we see what God is really like. And that's why Paul, in that same chapter 2, says to the Philippians, don't act from selfish ambition, but in humility count others as more important than yourselves. Don't just look out for yourself, look out for others. Christ didn't look out for himself. He humbled himself and looked out for you and me, even at the greatest cost to himself. So what Paul is saying there, have a cross-like life. Have a cross-shaped life, a life of servanthood, a life of humble love, a life of sacrificial love to others. That's what God is like. You be like this God who has revealed himself in Christ. And many, many of you have heard this term, but many call it now a cruciform life, okay? Cruciform. A life conformed to the cross. So, Paul has already said to the Philippians, I want you to have this cruciform life that was revealed in Christ. Then in our chapter, a little earlier, and I'd like you to stay there in Philippians 3, Paul tells, he describes what his own cruciform life looked like. So he's, He's told the Philippians what this, about this cruciform life. Then he gives himself as an example. He says in verse 10, I want to know him, that is to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings and become like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So here's what Paul is saying. By the power of Christ's resurrection, Paul is able to share in Christ's suffering so that his life conforms to the cross of Christ. He's not talking about necessarily actually dying like Christ died, though that may happen in the course of it. He's saying that he wants his life to match the pattern of Christ's death, of Christ's sacrifice, of Christ's humility and servanthood. He wants his life to follow the pattern of the cross, of this sacrificial love. And for Paul, who had this passionate love for the lost in darkness to to make known the good news of Christ, his life was constant suffering. So that's why he said, as I give myself up to, the, to love these people and give them the gospel, I'm, I desire for my life to conform to Christ. I sacrifice myself as Christ's sacrifice for me. Now, that is what Paul is calling on the Philippians to do when he says, imitate me. Imitate Paul's cruciform life that lines up with Christ's life. Now, that's what he says to imitate. And then in verses 18 and 19, he describes the contrast. Beware of these who what? Are enemies of the cross. 
You see the feel of this. They're enemies of this cruciform life. They're enemies of this sacrificial life. They're most certainly people who claim to belong to Christ, but they refuse to walk in the way of Christ's cross. Good News Bible says there are many whose lives make them enemies of Christ's death on the cross. Their lives show their enemies of his death. You see, these people claim to be within the household of faith. Paul says, no, they're not. They have abandoned Christ because they've abandoned this cruciform life. To refuse to live this life of humble servanthood is to abandon Christ. It is to despise Christ. It is to mock his suffering instead of being conformed to his suffering. It's to separate oneself from his salvation. And so that's why he says in the next phrase, their end is destruction. And here's the amazing statement here. Anything other than a cruciform life leads to destruction. You see, Christ began to live out this cruciform life, this humble servanthood, by the very way he was born in a manger. He, he began right from the beginning to humble himself and ultimately would humble himself on the cross. And so to abandon to abandon following this Jesus in his humility is to abandon ultimately the sure future of glory. So if people are not waiting for and looking for the glorious Christ to come, they are buried in this world, as Paul says here. When we refuse to glory in the humility and loss and suffering of the cross, Paul says it's our shame. To refuse this shame of the cross is itself our shame. To promote oneself, to protect oneself, to refuse sacrificial love as a way of life, to live for ourselves and not for others is our shame, he says. To promote our own glory ultimately is not only our shame, but it's our destruction. And, of course, this applies across the boards. It certainly applies to those who teach and live out the health and wealth gospel, right? It's not exactly a cruciform life. Not exactly calling others to suffer for Christ. It's quite the opposite. But it's also if in the whole of my life I refuse in any way to participate in God's call to make Christ known in this world, then it could well be that I'm an enemy of the cross. I'm not following the cross. I'm not walking in the humility of the cross. I'm not willing to, be, to suffer in that, for that cross. I don't even want to talk about that cross. But 
Thankfully, our hope is the same hope that Paul had. His hope, he says, is the resurrection of Christ. If it is Christ's enlivening us, Christ's power within us that enables us to live a life of suffering. Otherwise, we would not and could not. And I love the, I'll I'll paraphrase it, uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He died so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who died for us. That's the very salvation that he brings to us. The salvation of setting us free from living for ourselves. So that we might be set on living for others in this cruciform life. And he says there also, it is the love of Christ that controls us. As we see his love for us in dying for us, and that in his death we could be forgiven of our sins, it brings about, when we receive it, a joy in our life and a comfort and a peace that enables us to give ourselves up for Christ. And brothers and sisters, this crucified form life, this humble servanthood life is to be like God himself. That's who God is. This God who gives himself away. And it is the restoration of your true humanity. It is your God-like freedom to live a life that is other-centered. You are made to flourish as you are centered on others. And so Paul then speaks of the future. We don't give ourselves to ourselves. We give ourselves away to others. And we look for the coming of Christ. He says our citizenship is in heaven. And to be a citizen of a place means that that place governs you and regulates the way you think. So that Philippi, uh, that was part of Rome, that was an outpost or a colony of Rome, for instance spoke the Roman Latin. And so most of the inscriptions in Philippi are in Latin because they were a colony of Rome. And we, our governing power, is not Rome or even Washington, D.C., ultimately. He says, it's heaven. And the heart of heaven can be seen in the book of Revelation as they celebrate the lamb who was slain. Isn't it amazing that Jesus takes a cruciform shape in his flesh forever? And that's what forever is celebrated in heaven. Jesus as the Lamb of God. His sacrificial love is celebrated forever because it perfectly manifests the glory of God. That heavenly life renews us and empowers us It liberates us. It rehumanizes us. This life of God who sacrificed himself for others. And brothers and sisters, like Philippi was a colony of Rome, that means that we are a colony of heaven. A colony of heaven living out the sacrificial love that's celebrated in heaven. We are a colony of hope as we expectantly look for our Savior who is coming from heaven. And 
those who glory in the humble Christ, who glory in that life of giving ourselves away, we await a glorious Christ as well. It's interesting that when Paul says, I want to be conformed to his death, it's the same word that says here, we will be conformed to his body of glory. Isn't that interesting? Those who are conformed to his death, living out the cruciform life, are those who will one day be conformed to his glorious body. And you can't miss how Paul underscores it's the body that will be transformed. It's the body that suffers. It's the body that's transformed. He's not looking to be rescued from the body. The body's not going to be just discarded one day. The body itself will be transformed. And though the world has power now to humiliate and desecrate and ruin, destroy our bodies, it doesn't matter because the Christ who exercised full power over all creation will restore us. He will transform the humiliation of his people into glory, even as he's going to restore the whole of creation. So we're not looking to be ultimately redeemed out of creation. We are looking for the redemption of creation, including our own bodies, as we will dwell with him forever in the new creation. And our bodies will be made perfect and powerful and glorious as a reflection that we will at that point be made perfectly other-centered in love forever. We will be perfected in focusing on one another forever with joy. The image of Christ will be in us. Our central glory of finding unlimited energetic joy and amazement in giving ourselves away to one another and they to us. What a contemplation of the future. Perfected joy. Then we will be like God who always, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has one given himself away completely to the other and each receive fully the other. That's the life of God who is love. And we will be caught up in that love forever and ever. So this life that we are learning, that we are growing in by the power of resurrection, which calls in this life for much great suffering as we give ourselves away to each other, has as its final manifestation the new creation where that life of love is perfected in God's people. So... We trust not in any rule, but in the Lord Jesus who has all power. And we celebrate Advent, which is this first coming of Christ, to be born, to give his life up for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know the love of God, and so that we could be transformed from living for ourselves to begin to have our humanity restored as we live for others. And now we wait for his second advent. 
You see, in receiving his first advent and his accomplishment, we're made servants looking for the glory of the second advent. And so, what are you waiting for? You can ask it in that sense, are you waiting for Christ? But then in another sense, if you're waiting for Christ, then what are you waiting for? Serve one another. Serve this broken world. Manifest Christ's life, his resurrection life, by the way you spend yourself for others and walk in your new liberty as the new humanity of God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, how we praise you, how we thank you, O oh Lord, for your great mercy and love in our lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that as Paul said, you did not grasp, you were not grasping as God, as God, you, you gave yourself away. You didn't withhold yourself You poured yourself out for us. Oh, Lord, you became a humble servant even to the point of the cross. And it was begun in the manger that we celebrate. There was a shadow of the cross cast over the manger. For that is what you came to do. To die in our place. To take away our sin. So, Lord, we rejoice in you. Rejoice in your birth. We rejoice in what you've done for us. We rejoice that you set us free so that we might know the joy of true humanity, of being like God, of an outward focus, not on ourselves, but on one another and all others. Oh, Lord, as we have already said, be born in us today. May your life, your other-centered life, your humble servant life of sacrificial love. May it be born in us today. May we walk as you walked. For your glory and honor we pray. Amen.